Galatians chapter 1. Just one verse. I will put it all in context, probably read some stuff from other areas of Galatians, but the text is 1 in 10. Going to begin again the series, The Church It's At Its Best, when next week. I haven't forgotten that. There are some things I really do want to deal with, and it seems to have been well received in November. So Christmas is done. We're going to do a couple of these, and then next week we will begin uh, dealing with that and moving forward into the new year. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm reading from the New International Version, and it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is doing the writing. He's writing to a group of churches in the area called Galatia. Galatia, back in the good old days, was uh, a chunk of land in the middle of what we would call modern-day Turkey. And it was, a lot of it was given to Roman soldiers that had served in Gaul and then had come back over and Caesar took care of them and gave them some land and the Roman nation continued to grow in that part of the world. So here's Paul writing in verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. It's short. Let me read it again. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The issue in this letter... The primary issue is this, that the Apostle Paul is getting pushback on the gospel of grace. And there are people in the church, especially from a Jewish persuasion, that are suggesting that Paul makes the gospel too available. That preaching a gospel of grace um, makes salvation too easy. Um, It doesn't challenge people to make a life change. Uh, It doesn't challenge people to conduct themselves once they, quote, receive Christ as Savior in a way that would be pleasing to the Jewish audience. The juxtaposition is this. The contrast is this, is that Jewish people who became Christ followers still had a lot of Jewishness in them. Not all, but many. And some thought that that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah and that for Gentiles to come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, the men at least, of course, would have to be circumcised just as a sign of the covenant back under the days of Israel and the Mosaic law. So Gentiles could be saved but the right of circumcision needed uh, to be enforced with them. So the idea was this. Gentiles become Jews, and then Jews become Christ followers. And so the Jewish audience here that is pushing back on Paul is basically saying that Paul's not Jewish enough, that he's not insisting enough on Jewish tradition and Mosaic law, and this gospel of grace is, in a sense, and you may have heard this in church settings, is cheap grace. It's too easy. 
And the dig, because there is a dig here. It's hard to believe that church people would dig at one another. But the dig here is that they are saying Paul is doing this because he's capitulating to the pressure from the Gentiles. That he's making it easier for Gentiles because there's more of them and there's more pressure from them. And so Paul is making it, I'm going to call it, a soft gospel. And so they are saying to the Apostle Paul that all you're trying to do is build a crowd and please people. You're just interested in the numbers and in the accolades that come from all of these Gentiles. Because by this stage of the game, there are far more Gentiles than Jews in the church at that time. And this is written in and around the early 50s. So uh, Gentiles have started to uh, become saved. Uh, they, are vast, they vastly outnumber uh, the Jewish folk, and so they are becoming the biggest part of the church, especially outside the area of Jerusalem, and particularly in this region that is known as Galatia. So they're accusing the Apostle Paul of being a people pleaser that all he wants is the approval of people. And especially, of course, those perhaps that have some kind of influence. Now, this is a rhetorical question. Have you ever found yourselves trying to please people? So just give me a blank look. Don't <laughs> poke her face. Don't give it away. Have you ever been accused of trying to please people? I think that all of us have, have done this. I mean, who are the first people that you wanted to please when you were younger? Parents. Teachers. Coaches. I, I don't think that there's necessarily something wrong with trying to win the approval of people as long as it's done in a healthy way. I mean, which one of us hadn't gone to school and come back with a good paper or a good test and we've showed it to our parents and said, look, mom and dad, look, you've, you've raised genius here. <laughs> and then mom and dad would put the paper where? On the fridge. Why? Because that's everybody can see it. You saw the commercial on TV where there's this couple having, you know, family and friends over. They've got their kids... Uh, test on the fridge, it's a B minus. That's okay with them, but the friends are coming over, so before the friends arrive, they take a marker and they make a, a B plus, right? They put a line through the minus, right? Again, just trying to be a little bit more than who we are. I mean, at school, you know, we, we try to shine. Uh, you know, we want the students around us to think that we're good. We want the teachers especially to think that we're good. If you're on some kind of sporting team, you know, again, you, you try to do a little extra, try to get noticed, uh, try to get the opportunity to, to do your thing, to show your skill. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's okay. The potential is for it to become unhealthy, and it can become unhealthy early in age, and not just when we get older, then that all that matters to us is, is trying to get the approval of people 
because by getting their approval, it does something for us emotionally. And, and we, we seek that. We begin to seek that constantly, and that becomes an unhealthy thing. And then I think the biggest thing that comes from that is we tend to lose ourselves in seeking the approval of others. And all we're doing now is we're living for other people, and we're not living for ourselves. And we're living for the approval of other people, and we kind of lose our identity. We lose ourselves in always trying to make other people happy. And it's worse, it's exacerbated, when we try to make other people happy who aren't maybe healthy. And then we get into this, this cycle of trying to keep unhealthy people happy, whether that's a teacher or parents or spouse or siblings or God forbid, a boss, or somebody like that. And our goal is to keep them happy, but they're not really healthy. And of course, this, this relationship then becomes very unhealthy. And we're seeking the approval of people that if they do give us their approval, only give it for their own selfish reasons. It's not really that they like us. It's not really that they admire us. It's not really that they value us. It's simply that they get something from us. So as long as they continue to get something from you, you are deemed necessary and they will give you the appropriate approval measured out to you in order to keep you on that hook and that line. Paul is being accused of trying to be a people pleaser and trying to make other people happy. Now, for those of us that have read the New Testament from time to time, this seems a bit ludicrous, doesn't it? The image that we have from the Apostle Paul is not like that at all. Now, I realize that this is a snapshot in time, and we've read the whole New Testament, so we have far more detail. But Paul doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that wants to please people. If Paul was that kind of guy, he wouldn't have said to Barnabas, you know what, I don't want to work with John Mark anymore. He takes off on us. He's no use to us. And so I want to cut him loose, and let's find somebody else. Let's, let's take on a Silas. Doesn't sound like a people pleaser to me. I mean, Barnabas was his best friend. And, and, and his co-worker, and he wasn't at all interested in pleasing Barnabas. And then I'm going to get to a situation that is directly related to this passage, where it reminds us that the Apostle Paul took the Apostle Peter on, because believe it or not, Peter was the guy that was trying to win the approval of people. And it's written to us in this way that Paul says that I, you know, I, I addressed him face to face. I took him on because what he was sharing was contradictory to the gospel and causing other people spiritual harm. And so Paul, Paul could have just said, well, you know what, it's Peter. I'm not going to say anything. Or if I'm going to say anything, I'm going to say it privately because the last thing I want to do is create a fuss. I want to be on Peter's good side because Peter was an apostle before I was. And Paul basically says this, I'm not interested in any of that. Paul says all I'm interested in is truth. And if speaking the truth uh, offends other people, then, then so be it. So, all of us understand the desire at some level to, to win the approval of people. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, it usually begins in our families uh, trying to win the approval of our parents or our grandparents. As we grow up, it, it becomes teachers and coaches and other people of influence. And then finally, we work our, our way to the lofty level of spouses, and mine's right there. She knows that I live to make her happy. And bosses, 
the upper echelon of people that we feel that we, we ought to please. Pleasing people for the right internal reasons isn't necessarily a bad thing for the right internal reasons. The question, of course, is why am I trying to please people? Is it simply because I want to have the approval of people? I want to be liked. What does the approval or validation of people even mean? For most of us, it means this. It means to have their acceptance. They accept me. They like me. Again, they validate me. And some people will do almost anything to win the acceptance and the validation of those who feel that matter most to them. Sometimes even to people that don't matter most to them, but that they can affirm them in some way. And so the question is, is do all people feel this pressure? And I think, again, the answer is yes, all of us, because we've had parents, we've had teachers, we've had coaches, we've had bosses. I think most of us, if not all of us, have felt the desire at some point in time, for some reason, to win the approval of these people. The Apostle Paul talks about the pressure from others. Not that he was willing to capitulate to it, but he himself felt the pressure. The question is this, or rather the accusation is this, was Paul trying to win the approval of people, and because he was trying to win the approval of people, was he weakening the gospel? Was he changing the gospel message? Was he somehow making it easier to become saved? Or perhaps he was softening the message so much that people weren't even getting saved at all. Now, you've heard that in the church over the years, I don't know, recently. But I can remember there was a period of time where it was called soft grace or soft gospel, where it was felt that too many preachers were, were sharing the gospel in such a way that it wasn't really challenging them to become Christ followers. And all that they were interested in doing was building a crowd. Now, I mean, maybe that's still going on now. I, I don't have my uh, ear to the ground that well to know that. But, but that, that has been out there for some churches and for some gospel preachers. And it, it probably is still out there today. That it's easy grace, I think the expression. Easy grace. And so Paul is being accused of preaching easy grace in order to win the approval of people. Now think about that. Think about somebody in the church saying that to a leader in the church, to Paul, hey Paul, your gospel isn't really a gospel at all. You're preaching easy grace. And sure, it looks like lots of Gentiles are being saved, but they're only being saved because you're not really presenting the gospel properly. You know, if, 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 if narrow is the road and few that find it, how come, Paul, it seems like under your ministry, so many are finding it? You must be watering this down some way, somehow. And that's the accusation, not from the outside, but from the inside. And again, a certain side of the flavor of the church, those that have a Jewish background, Eventually, Paul's going to call some of these people false brothers because he believes that they're not actually teaching the gospel appropriately, that there's way too much emphasis on works, way too much emphasis on legalism, way too much emphasis on what we need to do rather than on what God has done for us in Christ. And as Pastor Adam led just a little while ago, it's in Christ alone I place my trust. And so Paul is being accused of trying to win the approval of people by watering down the gospel. 
Paul is being accused of modifying his message. Paul is being told that there should be more Jewish influence in it, more Mosaic law in it, things like circumcision. Gentile men should first become Jews and then be saved by their Jewish Messiah. Less emphasis on grace and a lot more emphasis on personal works of righteousness or personal ritual. More legalism and less grace. Less chat about what the Spirit can do in believers and more emphasis on how believers should modify their own behavior. Paul, you may have more fans in the church because of your easy grace message, but the people that you have in those churches aren't really saved. When you look at this in its broad aspects, it's quite the accusation. And it has biblical proportions on how the early church decides what to do with this. Is a person truly justified by grace through faith alone? Or is there something else that you need to do to be saved? Now, remember, is there something else that you need to do to be saved? This isn't about what comes after in discipleship. This is, there's something, is there something else that I need to do to be saved? And the Jewish Christians were saying, yes, according to the custom of Moses, men needed to be circumcised. So Gentile men, you cannot be saved unless you have the right of circumcision as a part of your life. And so yes, you must believe in Jesus, but, but there are other things that you need to add to that. Now, in the modern church, in the Gentile world, you will never hear that preached. But back in the olden days, 2,000 years ago, in a Roman Empire uh, where the gospel got started in Jerusalem with Jewish people and then spread out to the Greek-speaking Jews from the Aramaic-speaking Jews. It, I mean, it, it got its genesis in all of that. And so that's integral to the, to the church's beginning. In our day, you, you won't hear anything like that because that's ancient history to us. But we still have churches these days that preach Jesus plus something. So yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you know you got to be you got to be baptized. Yeah, or you have to have first communion, or you have to go to this church, or you know I don't know whatever it might be. I remember when I was a Bible college student all those many years ago that there was a young lady going through the halls of uh, the Bible college uh, from a local church, saying that you know you couldn't be saved unless you know you believe in Jesus and you spoke in other tongues. And that was her thing. So the church has always had this Jesus plus something. And so they want Paul to preach that. Paul, if you were a real man, if you were a gospel preacher, you wouldn't be afraid to preach the real gospel, which is, yes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are these other things as well. And you won't preach that, Paul, because that's hard. And not everybody is open to that. And so you won't preach that because it might become less attractive. And so, Paul, you'll, you'll say anything, you'll teach anything in order to get people, you know, to kind of drink your purple Kool-Aid, to use an expression from the good old days. 
Because all you're interested in, Paul, is the approval of men and counting. That's all you're interested in. And so, Paul, you're selling out. So what do we do when people think that we're selling out and that we're, we're losing the approval of, of people? Because we feel like we're, we're standing for something. Remember, this is no small thing. If you keep reading in, in the New Testament and you go to the book of Acts and you read what's going on up to Acts chapter 15 and then Acts chapter 15 as well, where they sort out some of this stuff, you've got a real division in the church. You've got some pretty significant people on one side saying, Paul, you're not preaching the gospel the way it should be preached. There's not enough Jewishness in it. And then you've got others like Paul and at Peter at the time that are saying, no, 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 this is the real gospel. You're preaching a gospel of Jesus plus something, and we're just preaching Jesus. And that's the real gospel, saved by grace through faith. And so the church has to sort this out, and it eventually does sort this out. But at this particular time in, in the church's history, Paul is losing friends because he's not saying what some of the friends want him to say. He's losing influence in part of the church because he's not teaching them what they want to say. So in some of the hierarchy of the church, the Apostle Paul is actually falling into disrepute. And they don't like Paul. They don't like the gospel Paul's preaching because they don't feel it's a full gospel. And look what Paul says here. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he is saying here is, if I was trying to please people, I wouldn't preach the gospel at all. Because whatever gospel you think I'm preaching is always turning somebody off. And being a servant of Christ sometimes means being confrontational. And so it would be a lot easier for me not to be a servant of Christ, not to be confrontational in preaching the gospel, not having to deal with people like you, and just be on my way. Have you ever felt that sometimes? Just leave me alone. I just want to serve Jesus. Just leave me alone. I don't want to get into theological debates. I don't want to be seen as for this or against that. I just want to love Jesus. It sounds wonderful, isn't it? That world doesn't exist. Eventually, serving Christ means that, that you're going to have to deal with sometimes the disapproval of people. And, and you've run into that when people have asked you about well, what it means to be a Christ follower and how Christ followers should live. And, and you've kind of bumped heads with people. You've tried to do it gently and in love, but you've bumped heads with people that don't necessarily agree with what you think the Bible teaches. And they will call you names sometimes, quietly or otherwise. And you certainly haven't won the approval of those people at all, but you feel it's important to stand on what the Bible teaches. Amen? And so it's difficult sometimes to serve God and, and be a people pleaser. In fact, it's not only difficult, folks, it's impossible. It's impossible to do that. So what are the dangers of pleasing people before I please God? Let me just deal with some of this stuff. What are the dangers of pleasing people before I please God? Because that's what Paul is saying is on the line here. Look, you're saying I'm trying to please the Gentiles by preaching cheap grace. 
you're feeling that the Jewish leaders are feeling that Paul is in opposition to them because they feel he's preaching cheap grace. So they are opposed to him. Paul apparently is attracting all kinds of followers because they approve of his gospel. And Paul has this conundrum of, well, some people like me, some people don't like me. Am I doing something wrong? Let's sort this out. Basically, what they'd like Paul to do now is please them. And have you ever run into that? Adam wants me to please him. Betty wants me to please her. But if I please Betty, I can't make Adam happy. And if I make Adam happy, I can't make Betty happy. So what do you do? Because that's what's going on here. The Jewish part of this says, Paul, you need to please us. And in order to please us, you need to preach this. But if you preach that, you won't please them. So, I mean, he, he's stuck here. So he, he does what Pastor Brent would do, because Paul's as spiritual as I am. You should hear the mumbling up here that I'm getting. So Brent isn't going to please Adam, and he's certainly not going to please Elizabeth. And he chooses to please God. Paul says this, look, I'm not trying to please the Gentiles, and I'm not trying to please you. What I'm trying to do here is please God. Those are good things to remember. That's a good principle to remember when you're just dealing with the people stuff. Never mind the heavy-duty stuff of, of, of faith and religion. Maybe you've got people in your life, right, that want, want you to please them. They want you to change how you're living and how you're thinking, and you, you, you need to make them happy. And possibly by making them happy, you don't make somebody else happy. But more likely what happens is by making them happy, you don't, you don't make yourself happy. But there's something in the fallenness of human beings that we feel compelled to make people that we look up to please with us even if we know that there's something not right about that. We are driven to it. I, I, again, I think it, I think it starts in the family where this desire to please, and again, with little stuff, it doesn't matter, but when it comes down to life and death stuff, when it comes down to spiritual, emotional health stuff, we sometimes still compromise because we want to keep the authority figure happy, even though by doing that, we know that it is not good for us but the preeminent desire is, i got to keep them happy. They have an opinion of me that isn't perhaps good, and I need to reshape it. I need to redefine it. So if that means I need to sell out in some way or give some piece of myself away or compromise some of my beliefs and values, then I'm willing to do that in order to keep them happy. Paul is saying this. If I keep the Jewish leaders who want him to teach a little bit more Mosaic Law stuff, I may make them happy. I certainly won't be happy, Paul says. And most importantly, I won't make God happy because he understands he is preaching a justification by grace through faith, not plus anything else. Jesus alone saves. It's the blood of Christ alone that washes us white as snow. We come to salvation through the cross, not through the cross plus circumcision, not through the cross plus baptism. And again, things like communion and baptism and all those stuff are great. 
all parts of discipleship process, but they are not means to salvation. It's in Christ alone that you and I place our trust. Amen? That's, that's all that matters to us. And so they are asking Paul to change the gospel to put a, a, a lot of flavor of Judaism. And Paul says, look, I'm not going to do that. My goal is to please God. So folks, whether it's in, it's in sharing your faith with somebody, or it's teaching in the church, or it's in relationships with people at work, or in your family, your number one priority is always to please God. What would God have me do? What does the Bible say? What is the clear instruction from Scripture here? Not like, will this make me popular or unpopular? If, if that's the measuring stick of popular or unpopular, you're going to be messed big time. Or if you've been doing that, you are messed big time. And you need to get that sorted out. The idea is to keep God happy. Paul says, look, I'm not trying to win the approval of, of, of people here. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm trying to preach the gospel as it was delivered to me. And he talks a great deal about that in Galatians chapter 2. And I encourage you to read all of Galatians chapter 2. But, but Paul eventually does say something about this. So take Galatians and go to Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. And let me give you some more of the background here. Cephas is another, is the, the Aramaic name, the Jewish name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, meaning the Jewish section of the church, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. The, the gist is this. Paul is in Antioch and he sees that Peter was hanging around Gentiles. Remember, Peter's the guy at, at Cornelius' house. He's the guy that has the vision, kill and eat. And God explains to him that all people are clean, whether Jews or Gentiles. That, that Peter, that Cephas. And now he's in Antioch, and now there's this pressure from a Jewish part of the church that Peter begins to feel, and they're beginning to ostracize Peter and look at Peter with evil eyes because Peter's hanging around with Gentiles, and who knows, maybe he even had a pork chop that day or a slice of bacon, and they're doing this to Peter. Ah, oh, Peter, 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 you can't do that, Peter, you can't do that. Peter begins to feel the pressure. He can hang around with his Gentile friends, but you know what? They're not really people of influence. Or he can give way to the Jewish side of the church who men that came from James, right? The brother of Jesus who have influence. And so Peter decides to, uh, to abandon his friends, to abandon the true gospel, and to move to the side of the Jewish side of the church that isn't really promoting a gospel the way it should be, not an unadulterated gospel. And because of that, he offends the, the Gentile believers. So they say, well, Peter used to eat with us. What's up? We're not good enough now? We're not good enough to be called Christians? And even Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, even Barnabas now begins to, you know, to say, I ain't hanging out with the Gentiles either. Obviously, there's something wrong with them. Uh, the men need to become Jews first. And Barnabas sides with that part. So because Paul realizes that they're not being true to the gospel, 
Paul gets right up in Peter's grill. It says that he takes him on face to face. The point of this isn't that he did it in a side room. He did it face to face in front of people because the church needed to know that Peter was wrong. That the Jewish side of the church was wrong to teach Jesus plus something else. And that Peter had influence and Barnabas had influence. And if you could take these apostles, these messengers of the gospel, and pardon me, Star Wars fans, and turn them to the dark side, then what would you do? What is that going to do to the rest of the church if Barnabas and Peter won't hang out with the Gentiles and won't preach justification by faith alone? Then we're going to have a really distorted gospel message and a sick church. So eventually they get together in Acts 15 at this council and they sort it all out. But it's, it's a demonstration, it's a big demonstration of what happens when we're only interested in proving people. I want them to like me. Peter's basically saying this, the Jewish side of the church has people of influence. I want them to like me. So guess what? I'm, I'm moving my chair over to here. Peter sits down. Barnabas is influenced by Peter. Sorry about your jacket. And he says, I'm moving to this side of the church because there's people over here that got influence. It's not just where they sit, folks. It's now they're going to be preaching, if they're left that way, they're going to be preaching a gospel that's not a gospel. So now you've got Peter and Barnabas, two pillars in the church that are going to be pre preaching a distorted gospel. So that, that's why Paul takes Peter on publicly and says, you can't do that. That's not the gospel. Now, if he was trying to win the approval of Peter, he would have done quietly in a back room. But because it was, it was a community event, because this mattered to everybody, everybody needed to hear and see this, or as many people as possible. So Paul takes him on publicly, not privately, because the church needs to know, even though he's an apostle, he's wrong. And he's wrong about something that really matters, something that's foundational to the church. So we can't have this discussion in a back room. We have to do it publicly. Now, does that sound like a guy that's trying to win the approval of people? I don't think so. That's the last thing on his mind. Paul could care less about people, maybe sometimes to a fault. But he is concerned about pleasing his Lord. And he's willing to take a stand on that, even though it's going to cause some amount of consternation. But one of the dangers of, of pleasing people before God is you compromise your values. Whatever those values are, for whatever they're about, you compromise your values. You've heard the expression, to your own self be true. What, you don't read Shakespeare? Not in a Hamlet? Not omelet, Hamlet. Plotinus says this, this above all to thy own self be true and it must follow as the night the day. Am, am I doing this Shakespearean enough for you? <laughs> Man, I remember reading Othello. <sighs> wow. That was cannot be then be false to any man. Farewell, my blessing, season this in thee. Plotinus says that. This is Hamlet, for those of you that don't remember, Act 1, Scene 3, 78-82. To thy own self be true, is Polonius' last piece of advice to his son Laertes, who is in a hurry to get on the next boat to Paris. You, you remember this, I'm sure. 
where he'll be safe from his father's long-winded speeches. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Just so you know, that's Shakespeare too and not in the Bible. Plotius has in mind something much more Elizabethan than the New Age self-knowledge that the phrase now gets. As Polonius sees it, borrowing money, loaning money, carousing with women of dubious character and other intemperate pursuits are false to the self. And by false, Polonius seems to mean disadvantageous or detrimental to your own image. By true, he means loyal to your own best interest. You see how this is self-serving in its context. Take care of yourself first, he counsels, and that way you'll be in a position to take care of others. The Apostle Paul would say, well, that's not enough. You may think, well, I'm true to myself. That's not the point. Sometimes people think, well, if I don't need to seek the approval of others, I can do that by being true to myself. Well, if true to yourself simply means your own self-interest, putting yourself in an advantageous state as opposed to other people, or putting yourself in a good state so that you can help other people, you're still pretty much making this about me. And Paul says it isn't about pleasing people. It's not even about pleasing yourself. Because there's always the element of self-deception about this, to thy own self be true. You can be true to a set of beliefs that are off the charts, that are wrong. You, you can be true to a position that, that is a wrong position. You, you can be true to a doctrine that's heretical. It is not about to thy own self be true. It's about, again, winning God's approval. What do the scriptures say? What does God say? So then the question then is, what will I need to change in order to always please God first? So here's the conclusion. Follow along if you're taking notes. Follow along. The Apostle Paul helps us out in chapter 2. He says some really interesting things. I, I, love, I don't know if he's meaning to be tongue-in-cheek, uh, disrespectful or not. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says this, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Paul's first attitude, first response to, to not becoming a, a, a self-seeker of people's approval or even being true to your own self and thinking more of yourself than you ought. Paul says the first understanding is this, that God doesn't show favoritism. God isn't impressed with people. I, I love this expression, as for those who are held in high esteem. Basically, the gist is this. Sometimes we think people are, have such authority or such a position or so smart that they can't be challenged. That you couldn't say to them, really? You think so? Are you sure about that? And you always know who those people are because they get offended when you do that because they're like, well, who are you to challenge me? Don't you know who I am? And so Paul says, look, like, I, I, have no, I don't care. I mean, James and Peter and others in the church may be deemed pillars, but I don't care who calls them what. 
or what position that they have. Titles don't matter here. The, the issue is who's right and who's wrong and who's pleasing God and who's distorting the gospel. So if Peter's distorting the gospel, then I'm going to take him on face to face. I don't care if the church looks at him as a pillar and you can't challenge him. Ooh, bull hunky. I had to pause there. As for those who seem to be important, is how it's written in the 1984 version of the NIV. Those who seem to be important. We know who they are. You don't need to wear badges. We know who they are. Chapter 2, verse 9, James, Peter, and John. Again, I mentioned this. Those reputed to be pillars. I love the word, the qualifying word, reputed. What does reputed mean? Doesn't mean necessarily so, but they have a reputed reputation. They have a reputation of being pillars. A reputation isn't necessarily fact about their giftings or their abilities. So they have a reputation of being pillars. Well, if they have a reputation of being pillars, well, you can't challenge that because they have a reputation of being pillars. You can't mess with the pillars because if you shake the pillars, the whole house comes down. And sometimes maybe the house needs to come down because what you're building isn't good. 2.11, Paul opposed Peter to his face. Why? Paul wouldn't back down, not to false brothers, not to Peter, not to anyone, because he held to God's truth. Paul wasn't worried if others liked him. Paul wasn't worried if he challenged Peter that it would make him unpopular or that it would cause an awkward moment. Paul didn't have a desire to keep peace with Peter about such an important matter. Sometimes you got to shake things up. And in this case, he had to shake things up because Peter was wrong. And because he was wrong, others were joining in what Paul called hypocrisy. It wasn't like, ooh, they're just making a mistake here. Paul called it hypocrisy. Why? Because privately you're living like a Gentile, but publicly you're living like a Jew. Right? That's what happens when we try to win the approval of other people. You live a different life privately than you do publicly. And you can't be to thy own self true, to quote Hammy, if you're doing that stuff. You can't. There was too much on the line to toe the line that the Jewish people wanted him to follow. And then finally again in 2 verse 6, God doesn't show favoritism. Paul just isn't impressed by people, regardless of their status, regardless of their reputation, their followers, their calling. Peter was called even by Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul doesn't care. He cares about pleasing the Lord, and the way he can and should do that is by preaching the unadulterated gospel, the pure gospel, a grace-filled gospel, a cross-inspired gospel, a gospel that says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, what will I need to change in order to always please God? First, only you can answer that. But the idea is this, is that you are appealing to an audience of one. That's who you're trying to make happy. Didn't Pastor Sean get that uh, tattooed on his arm? I thought I remembered that. Your goal is to appeal to an audience of one. Look, here, let me just wrap it up doesn't mean that if you're a kid, you can't make mom and dad happy. 
doesn't mean if you're an adult, your parents are still alive, you still have that blessing in your life, but you can't make mom and dad happy. Nothing wrong with that, you know? As long as it's done in healthy ways. Nothing wrong with keeping your spouse happy. Why does it get so quiet? <laughs> Remember, that's a two-way street, right? She makes me happy too, right? Guys, I'm dying out here. All you're thinking about is I got to go home with her. Like, I am not going there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with making your boss happy. Your boss asks you to do something. You should do it. Nothing wrong with that. Those things are fine. But when it comes to the eternal stuff, when it comes to who you are and, and, and how God has made you and what it, God is calling you to do to be the best you that can be, to be a spirit-led, spirit-filled you that isn't concerned about how does that make me look in the eyes of others, but what is most important is, is I am speaking to and living in front of an audience of one. What matters most is that I make Jesus happy. Now, if what matters most is what makes Jesus happy, then you need to do and say things the way Jesus would have you do and say them. You don't take a cavalier attitude. Well, all I care about is making God happy. So, Colt, <laughs> Beulah, never do that to you, Stan. <laughs> Nelly, and then, right? No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about someone who was saved by grace, living by faith, conducting themselves in a spirit-led manner. But the goal is always this. You are there to please an audience of one, and his name is? Let's stand and pray.